Well, let me begin by inviting you to a few things coming up over the next two weeks related to Easter. The first is on Wednesday night, April the 13th uh, at 6.30 p.m. in our multi-purpose building here at Rich Fork. We will have a time of our taking the Lord's Supper together. We'll have a short time of worship, an opportunity to examine this moment that Jesus has with his disciples in Scripture, and then the opportunity uh, to take part in that to de- that evening at 6.30 p.m. So we would love for you to join us on Wednesday night, April 13th, from 6.30 to about 7.15 p.m. Then on Sunday, uh, or shall I say Easter weekend, uh, we have four opportunities for you to worship alongside of us. Uh, you can do that on Saturday night, the 16th at 6 p.m., or Sunday morning, the 17th at 8.30, 10, and 11. Uh, Those services on Sunday will take place in our sanctuary at 8.30, 9.30, and 11 in this room. So those are a couple things about our times for Easter weekend and uh, the events leading up to it on the 13th. One thing, though, I do want to make you aware of is that on Easter weekend, we have been given a tremendous opportunity as a church to be generous. And around here, we say uh, generosity is when an open heart meets an open hand. And we have the opportunity to be generous to the people and the organizations that right now are ministering to and around the region of Ukraine in the world where they're facing many difficulties because of a war. Many countries around, many ministries around are trying to meet the needs of people there. So on Easter weekend, Uh, Our offering, anything that comes in in the envelope that we will have on Easter weekend, we've mailed that to about 1,200 homes over the past couple of days. So if you didn't get one, call the office, we can get you one. Or if you go online, you can drop down on the giving menu to Ukraine and all of that will go and be dispersed between three organizations that are already on the ground in Ukraine and in Hungary and surrounding countries ministering to people there. So a tremendous opportunity for us to be generous on Easter weekend. Also, Easter weekend is going to be our last weekend for filming the sermon content ahead of time. So beginning the weekend of April 24th, the sermon content will be recorded during one of our weekend services, then edited and posted for you on Monday. The difference for those who are online viewers is that you are going to go from being able to access the sermon content a day or two ahead early. Instead, you'll receive a link to the content a day or so later. The reason for this is quite simply uh, that as this full schedule of ministry has become the norm again following the past two years, prepping and filming uh, ahead of time a couple of days has been met with many obstacles this spring and it's simply not feasible for us to accomplish each week that far ahead of time to get it to you. We also hope that this encourages those of you who could step back into the room but have yet to do so, that this would encourage you to step back in the room, but we still want to provide the online content for those who physically cannot be here. So we'll remind you of this on Easter weekend and the following week to remind you of those changes. But before we jump into our time of teaching to close out Philippians today, let's pray together. God, we come to you today with a passage of scripture that if 
anyone watching this has not experienced what Paul addresses the last two years, then I am not sure how they haven't. Uh, because anxiety and worry and stress have been the real go-to emotions for so many of us in so many circumstances. And I'm so thankful that your word, the word of God addresses these things that are practical to each and every one of us. So guide us as we walk through this passage today. May it be encouraging, challenging, yes, but encouraging to walk in the peace of God. Thank you, God, for how you have used this and we'll continue to use these opportunities to share your word with people that have taken time to view them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share something crazy that happened to me last Saturday night. Uh, it was, without a doubt, the biggest mess I've ever made. Now, I'm not speaking about something emotional or spiritual, but something physical, and it involved jalapeno pepper jam. Let me rewind. Last summer, our missions pastor, Lee Hedrick, gave me an abundance of jalapenos. His wife shared with me the recipe for jalapeno pepper jam. It sounded really delicious to me, maybe not to you. So I decided last summer to make a batch and it was fantastic if you like spicy. A few weeks ago, Lee's wife sent me bags of jalapenos that she had frozen along with empty jars, which was an implication to me to say, make us some more jam. So last Saturday, I carved out the afternoon time to go for it. I cut and I chopped all my ingredients. I, I measured the colossal amount of sugar necessary and I began to boil the jam and put it all together. My jars were ready. My canning pot was prepared for the water bath. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. To seal them, I had read, I had studied, I was prepared. I had it all on the stovetop and it was really slow coming to a boil. So I decided to walk about 25 feet to our outdoor freezer in our garage area and grab a pound of sausage that I needed to thaw for homemade pizza that night. As I stepped out of the room, I hear sizzling. Didn't really catch my attention. But then there was an aroma of a jalapeno vapor that filled the air. I turned back to the kitchen and I walked back into the kitchen and I had paid the price of what my mom says is the number one rule of making jam. You never leave jam unattended. It covered the entire surface of the stove, down the sides, under the stove, onto the cabinets beside it, onto the countertops, down the front of the stove. I then moved the pot and the spicy sweet sugar quickly covered the hot burner and began to let off fumes and smoke. The kitchen is dense with smoke and I was in shock. And I honestly, I stood there and stared at the mess and said, I have never made this big of a mess. I didn't even know where to start. So a few minutes later, I finally reached over and the courage to turn off the burner. My wonderful wife and youngest daughter proceeded to assist me and we spent the next two and a half hours sopping up, cleaning up, scraping up, mopping up, sopping up, cleaning up, scraping up, and yes, pouring what jam was left into jars and it was 
almost like water. It was a total and utter disaster. My reward, 16 jars of super spicy syrup and a stovetop that experienced a science experiment of what happens when the compound of sugar reacts to a boiling point and meets glass. When I stood over that stovetop with jam dripping down the front, down the sides and under, I was frozen in disbelief. I went from having this enjoyable, for me, relaxing time at home to chaos in less than 30 seconds. Isn't that life? One minute, you're cruising along on your way to work. The next minute, someone has tapped your bumper from behind or worse, and you are in the spin cycle of rental cars and insurance claims. Or one minute, you're excited about the day ahead until your first email from your coworker, from your boss, your friend, or a parent sidetracks your next few hours and your attitude is sunk along with it. Or the day off that you've been looking forward to. After picking up extra shifts at work for work for other people, it collapses because the boss demands you fill in for someone else. Peace, relaxation, gone. Anxiety, stress, up to 10. The scenarios you are or will experience are without a doubt more serious than the one I just mentioned, especially jalapeno pepper jam. But you know the drill. Peace is seemingly shattered in an instant and anxiety, fear, and worry win the day. Paul, in Philippians, has delivered so many profound theological truths and practical truths about Jesus, about our saving faith in Jesus Christ, our reasons to be people of joy, Jesus, others, yourselves, to rejoice. He addresses our attitude about humility and how to be people that others would want to model or imitate. And then in chapter 4, he speaks into the lives of his friends at the church of Philippi to address one of the most common struggles in their lives, but also ours. Anxiety versus peace. Paul gives the church these words. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now these verses are often the focal point of a study of Philippians because of the phrase, do not be anxious about anything. This phrase jumps out to us. Why? Because in the last 50 years, our culture has shifted and the news, global tragedies, it no longer takes weeks or days to cross our path. Now, moments of tragedy strike and the information is available instantly. And not simply information, but videos and pictures. Every tragedy globally is in front of us in seconds. 
Every local difficulty is plastered across our screens in real time. And if not, it is posted on onto a place that we would see it at the bottom of our screen. Every stressful moment with friends and family happens in real time. And all that gives us more to visualize, more to process, more to carry, more to worry, more to feel anxious about. And we have so much more information, so many things to see and worry about than ever before. It almost never leaves us. Now, I believe Paul addresses this issue because it is one of the things that can squelch our joy and our peace and and leave us miserable and unkind. Anxiety, worry, fear. Anxiety, if we're honest, it robs us of peace. It impacts our health. It impacts our appearance. It also reflects in what or whom we put our trust. Anxiety, worry, and stress. Vance Pittman, in his book, The Stressless Life, just said, anxiety, stress, and worry is the fearful concern we experience when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. I like to call it the, the squeeze. It's, it's the tension, the physical tightness that happens, but also the emotional panic. Jesus addressed worry in a parable in Matthew 6, 25. You'll have to read that on your own, but in that we see that worry causes us to dread about tomorrow. Anxiety makes us even maybe worry about what's going to happen the rest of the day. Our emotions all turn inward onto ourselves. Worry then be- begins to cause us to surrender being distinctly different than the rest of the world. But we're so good at it, aren't we? We're so good at being worried, filled with worry and anxiety. Paul's statement sounds so simplistic and honestly unreal. Don't be anxious about anything. Sounds like a great sermon point, Pastor. Doesn't sound realistic. It's idealistic. Don't worry. Be happy, right? The song. But it's not real life. The problem is we often end this verse, this statement, as if it's the end of the verse, but it's not. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And we either say that's impossible or that might work for someone else. Yet, in God's word, there is a conjunction. In our language, there's a comma and a conjunction, the word but. Yes, Paul is echoing the words of Jesus to not worry or be anxious, yet he is not finished by simply stating Do not be anxious about anything, but this three-letter word does something here. It connects two phrases in the verse. But this specific word in this context in Greek is a word that communicates opposites, literally a logical contrast of two ideas. Two opposites are presented here. Anxiety, or peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but here's the contrast. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There's four important words that Paul gives us when we step into contrasting our position of anxiety 
worry, and stress. We'll look at each of these four as we walk through this morning. The first is the word prayer. It's a broad word for communicating with God, making our requests known before God. Then he gets more specific and he uses the word supplication. This is more specific. The word communicates a begging or a pleading. It is filled with repetition. It is honest. As thoughts or concerns surface, we share them with the Lord. Pleading is desperate. Pleading is disruptive by nature. Pleading is persistent. And it is full of honesty. Prayer and pleading. Whether or not you realize that we're great at pleading, just ask any parent or volunteer in our preschool ministry. They know what pleading is like. Because kids are relentless in their pleading. They'll ask something honestly, bluntly, and repeatedly. Take, for instance, my kids will still come to me and say, hey, could you pick this up from the grocery store? They, they don't just say, you know, would you grab it? They say, would you please? Would you please bring us some of those double-stuffed Oreos? Bring home that cookie dough that we can eat right out of the tub. And they don't ask once. And if you happen to make the mistake of taking them with you, the store is massive and there's thousands of items, but there's only one thing on their mind. And that one item, and they will remind you over and over and over and over. This is prayer. This is supplication. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, it is exposing our most inward need before the Lord and asking specifically, repeatedly, with great transparency. So how do we begin to make this verse more than a theory and make it reality? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Our third word there in this phrase, thanksgiving, gratitude. Yes, we are lacking in making, at many times, honest requests deliberately known to God, but we also must acknowledge to whom we are making our requests and how. Now, most people know what kryptonite is. It is a fictional, for some of you, you may not believe that, is a fictional substance in which Superman is allergic. Maybe allergic is not the best word, but if you want to stop Superman in his tracks, you put him near kryptonite. Case closed. Anxiety has a weakness. It's called thanksgiving. It's called gratitude. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The more grateful we become, the more we fill up the space where anxiety grows with humble, lowly, help me prayers that are full of thanksgiving for God's goodness, God's gift, and the ultimate good gift, the gospel. We're thankful. We do one, if not all, of the following. We remember how God has provided for us in the past. We submit to God's sovereignty, His rule in the present. And we trust God with our future. And all of this comes from a man, Paul, who is writing these words in prison. He had plenty to worry about, plenty to complain about, but completely trusted the Lord. 
And while his circumstances did not change, neither did his faith. His faith remained solid in a comforting and trustworthy God. The last word of great importance from this part of the verse is the word requests. Make your requests known to God. These are specific, honest, detailed difficulties. Paul is drilling down deeper into our prayer life as he contrasts anxiety, stress, and worry. He's communicating with the church of Philippi, don't stay on the surface with your prayers or make them quick, almost fly-by prayers without depth, without thanksgiving, without repetition. But he says, be open, be honest. I ask myself this one question quiz about this passage. Let me ask it for you. Are you specific in your prayers and praises as you are your worry, fear, and anxiety? Are you as specific in your prayers and praises as you are in your worry, your fear, and anxiety? What I mean by this is if I ask you, what you're worried about today. You could probably give me a list and it would be full of honesty, uh, but is that the list that we've taken to the Lord? I'll use one example. We've all faced at some point in our lives, I'm fully uptight. I'm worried about my financial situation. In my head, the numbers are eating away at my attitudes, my actions, my thought. How are we gonna pay for this? How is this, where's this money coming from? It's insurmountable. But when we take it to the Lord, we say, God, would you help me? That's it. Paul says, to battle anxiety, we must pray specifically, repeatedly, with thanksgiving. Instead, we must come to God with a moment like that and say, God, you know the amount. You know the burden. You know the repair. You know the difficulty. You know what will cause in our family. God, would you show us how you desire for us, what you would desire for us to do in this moment? God, would you reveal to us? And we pray it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. D.A. Carson asks, when was the last time you prayed explicitly and specifically and at length over the things that you worry about, things that trouble you, things that plague you? Did you take them out and recount them to God one by one, laying your burdens on Him? Here we see from Paul, being anxious is the problem to put off. Prayer is the procedure to practice. And peace is what's then promised by God. These are the God-given results of specific prayers to the Lord. Repeated prayer, unpacking them before the Lord. Paul goes on to say, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety or peace? If anxiety, worry, stress is the fearful concern we experience that we stated earlier, when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them, then peace is the opposite. Peace 
is the sense of divine favor arising from confidence in God and your relationship with Him. It is the sense of divine favor arising from your relationship with God. But all of these truths from Paul hinge on something. They hinge on you having a relationship with God through God's grace, offered to you by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why we spent an entire Sunday unpacking the humility and the love of Christ in chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. You cannot know the peace of God until you know the God of peace. Peace. Please hear me. It's not the absence of difficulties. It's not pretending. Instead, it's about the presence of God's peace in the midst of difficulty. Again, in the book I've already referred to once, and we'll refer to again, The Stressless Life by Vance Pittman. He says, Paul is not commanding us not to care about anything or that we can avoid every burden or concern. But he cares for our concerns. But our cares and concerns need to be filtered through our relationship with God, not apart from it. And this is the reminder that needs to be made yet again as we have stated so many times in our study of Philippians. Our position with God isn't rooted in our performance. Instead, our position with God is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. If we want the peace of God, we must know the God of peace. Peace is not found in a a fleeting relationship with God. Rather, it is found through a growing, maturing relationship with God. Allow me to try to give you a different glimpse of what seems to be hard to imagine, the peace of God. In the pages of the book entitled, The Basin of the Bed of the Atlantic. I know, it sounds like an exciting read. To be quite honest with you, I've only read two pages for research of this phrase that I heard. There's a phrase called the cushion of the sea. Now, when I picture an ocean or a sea, I see waves and wind. If it's very windy, then I see white caps and possible danger. If you've ever been out on the storm and uh, out on the ocean and you can see a storm coming in, the clouds darken, the waves begin to roll, this once peaceful body of water has now become angry. Ships, even the largest of vessels, can get thrown by the waves and at times destroyed. But did you know that at the very same time that the surface of the water is being tossed about, there is a place deep below the surface, miles away from the surface, where there's no movement. There's no upheaval. There is what is called the cushion of still water. There was a story once told about a submarine that was being tested and had to remain submerged for many days. And when it returned to the the harbor, the captain asked, how did the terrible storm last night affect you? The officer over the submarine looked at him in surprise and said, storm? We didn't even know there was one. The submarine had been so far beneath the surface that it had 
reached the area known as the cushion of the sea. Although the ocean may be turning into huge waves by high winds, the waters below were never stirred. This is the peace of God for those who trust in Christ. While the world stirs with turmoil and struggles and temptation and leads up to our anxiety and our stress and our worry, we can have a relationship with God who never changes, who never shifts, who never leaves us, who is always steady, who is without faltering. And this is the picture that Paul depicts with confidence when he says, the peace of God surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The psalmist laid this foundation of peace in and through God when he said, Be merciful to God, O to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you your my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Anxiety versus peace. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are you seeking peace or anxiety in your prayers and your praise? I love that Paul takes us down this path and addresses such a daily practical issue in our lives. And then he delivers the extended how-to. How do I pursue peace in my relationship with God? A peace that will deliver peace to my life, to my earthly relationships, to my situations. He continues in verse 8 and says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I love what one of our deacons said this week regarding this passage. He says, what we dwell on, we become. Paul does not simply drop a note to the church of Philippi and say, you want to be stressless? Pray more. Praise more. No. Now go have a great day. He outlines the things that will impact the heart, the soul, and the mind of the church of Philippi. And these things can impact the battle for peace over anxiety. What does he say that we should pursue? What we become? What we dwell on, we become. What do we pursue? Truth? What is honorable? That which is majestic and awe-inspiring. What is just and right? What is pure, morally, clean thoughts? What is lovely and acceptable? What is commendable and of good report? admirable, attractive, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What we dwell on, we become. And what we become, others will imitate. Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The things of verse 8. 
and the God of peace will be with you. This pursuit of peace is noticeable to others. And if we can model peace with God amid anxiety, worry, and fear, then we can open the door to introduce Jesus to a person or to a world filled with tragedy and fear and anxiety and doubt. But if all we pursue is chaos, comparison, and fighting our emotions with counsel from our latest Google search, then we can expect to find turmoil and anxiety. But if we pursue truth daily, search for awe-inspiring work of God in the smallest of details, if we seek decisions that don't simply feel good at the moment, but are right according to godly standards, if we love fiercely and praise God in the moments that appear joyful, and we search for His grace when the tables seem to be turned, it is then, it is there, where the peace of God has existed all along. Paul even says that peace brings contentment, even in his imprisonment, even in the middle of his difficulties that we cannot imagine. He continues in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned In whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul's message to the church of Philippi is desperately needed today, contentment. In much or little through his strength alone. Strength of our Savior, a servant, a sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Are you prayerfully pursuing peace? Verses 4 through 7. Do you know the God of peace passes all understanding? In verse 7. Are you moving in the direction of decisions that lead to peace or chaos? Verse 8, what are you dwelling on? Verse 9, with your heart, with your eyes, with your mind. Because what we dwell on, we become. And what we become, others imitate. Quite a closing message. Paul continues for a few more verses and gives a few more words of wisdom to the church of Philippi. But in a world of turmoil, he offers peace. But we must pursue it through a relationship with God and the thoughts that will take us there. Let me close us in prayer and then leave you with a few final thoughts. God, I come to you and thank you for this peace that passes understanding, a peace that is deep, not on the surface, not tossed back and forth by the waves, but a peace that is found as we lift our prayers, our requests, our pleading, our thanksgiving, our searching repeatedly, confidently in you. So create a spirit of thanksgiving and contentment in each of us because we can know the God of peace. 
We can know Him by acknowledging our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. We can know Him. I pray that those that are watching this would ask of themselves, do I know the God of peace? Have I trusted in Christ as my Savior? Am I making decisions? Am I pursuing things of truth and worth and right and good that would lead me to to peace? God, this passage is so important for us. In a world filled with anxiety and worry and fear, your word speaks directly into it. Peace. Thank you, God, for these reminders from Paul to the church of Philippi and for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of the year, I reached out to the pastor and author of the book that I just quoted twice um, that I would highly recommend to you. It is called The Stressless Life, Experience the Unshakable Presence of God's Indescribable Peace by a pastor and leader called Vance, named Vance Pittman. I would challenge you if you want to pursue this idea and this thought of being a person of peace to order that book, take a read, and continue to pursue 